0: sources cuban is beside himself driving around downtown dallas begging through texts jordan's family for the address to deandre jordan's house
1: we crushed them on the basketball court and we're going to for years because of the way we built this team we're light years ahead of probably every other team in the structure in planning and how we're going to go about things anything is possible Welcome back to Backboard of the Rings. I'm your host, Bard Brown, spelled like the color. I am joined by Eric Brown, spelled with an (laughs) A-U. And uh, this is, I don't really get this. We're also joined by Dan Brown, but I don't quite understand how the I and the K spell brown. But uh, I'm not not really into like linguistics and stuff, so I just got to roll with it, right guys?
2: I'm like in brown bear. Fine. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's the guy that wrote the uh, Da Vinci Code, right? How do we get him on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, so, big
1: get. That is uh, true. Uh,
2: no, anything but that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. he made a lot of money from those movies with Tom Hanks. So, um, hurts so much. I could use some cash considerations, Dan Brown. <laughs> um, so, so we are here to talk. Uh, basically, two two things here. We're gonna do some finals talk and then we're also going to do some uh favorite moments from this season. So obviously hopefully people who are listening to this know that uh was it a couple weeks ago now the Denver Nuggets defeated the Miami Heat 4 to 1 in the NBA Finals. Uh Nikola Jokic was crowned Finals MVP. Uh said he didn't want to go to the parade cuz he had to do some horse racing, then said he loved the parade. Uh Also, I had the hilarious quote, you know, about uh, the job is done we go home. So, what did you guys think about the finals?
0: You know, for being a five-game series that kind of went the way I expected, I appreciated that each individual game, for the most part, was still competitive Um, towards the end. Like, Miami did a good job of playing uh, basically as well as you could have expected them to. We talked about it a little bit during the the series itself, but I think when your offense is so reliant on role players hitting an insane rate of threes, uh, this is the kind of thing that could happen to Miami. Like, it's not that surprising to me that, you know, Kayla Martin and Gabe Vincent and Max Struess just kind of turned into pumpkins there a little bit in the finals, you know, they were still fine in a couple games, but weren't hot like they were in the Celtics and Milwaukee series that got them there, and Devin yeah, was just almost, too good was, to overcome that.
2: I want to say there was a point earlier in the playoffs where there, the role players on Miami were shooting like 65% from three or something, just mm-hmm. completely ridiculous.
1: Yeah, should we just start talking about the heat here before we do the Nuggets, or do we want to talk Nuggets first? We've kind of jumped into the heat here, so we could just go right into them. Sure. Okay, so yeah, I think as you guys have mentioned, the interesting thing about them was uh, it, it's funny to try to assess their overall run versus their finals run because I didn't think they were good in the finals at all. And I, You said they were close. I never, other than game two, I really never felt like the Heat had a chance to win any of those games. I thought they were getting pasted most of the time <laughs> as I was watching them. Uh, but it's, so it's, it's very strange because they had this incredible run to get there, as we talked about in the finals preview, defeating uh, Milwaukee, defeating eh, the, eh, the Knicks, but and then you know the Celtics, even though they almost blew it, um, and they looked really good, and it was they were kind of playing above uh, board, you could say, and they you know they were playing very well, and then they got they got to the finals and they just uh you know we'll get to how the Nuggets outclassed them, but they just looked way out of their depth. I think the big problem was. Jimmy sprained that ankle in the Knicks series. and just never kind of looked the same. And he never really was able to up his game. And as you guys have mentioned, uh, I think, Eric, you and I both said Caleb Martin should have been the Eastern Conference Finals MVP. And he was like MIA the whole finals. He was right. nowhere to be found. So um, I, overall, they have to be happy to run. But I, they, were, they were not very good, in my opinion.
0: No, the I final.
1: I will eat a
0: slight bit of crow on them in that I think in the preview for it, I mentioned how bad Bam was in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals and how he was just going to get exposed in the Finals. And yes, Jokic got his, uh, but Bam was about the only player for the Heat that played consistently great every single game. Like, I mean, he was the driving force of any offensive success that they had in that series, mm-hmm. so... Uh, yeah, he played he, very well. I was I was very impressed with how he did against the Nuggets.
2: I agree. He ran out of gas in Game Five a little bit, but uh, I, I think that's kind of a theme for Miami is, and it's one of the things I don't think it's coincidental, right? Like their style is so intense. Mm-hmm. It's something that I've been noticing about Jimmy, I, I know people like to say his age, but like you look at him, he's in incredible shape. But I feel like every year there's a point at which he stops being the Jimmy Butler that you're afraid of. And I think one of the reasons for that is heat culture, where they play so so hard. They play these crazy, junked-up defensive schemes that involve a lot of scrambling, a lot of, like, you just got to be on your toes and really, like, you know, just out-efforting the other team. And it's impressive they got as far as they did doing that. But the fact that, like, this theme of, oh, their guys ran out of gas, you could say that about multiple guys going down the roster, right, is... That's a prop. Like, it's great that that culture gets you to the finals, but if you have zero chance of actually winning when you get there, and part of that is roster construction, to be fair. But like, I do think that if we're going to talk about heat culture, you got to talk pros and cons, and the way that their junk defenses, I do think, take more effort. And the other, th- on the other side of that, you have Jokic just sitting there and like deconstructing in real time. That was my favorite thing about the finals, even though I agree with you brad the games were not necessarily close like watching Jokic deconstruct that defense to the point where at the end i was like it was a foregone conclusion that denver was gonna win right because like when you tried your three or four or five different tricks and he goes and he's figured out every single one of them and he's like okay this is you know i've already seen this boom and he has immediately he has the answer for it like Miami was just undermanned. When when you're playing that many minutes uh, to, you know, Kevin Love in 2023, in the (laughs) final. Got bought out. Right? Like, this is not 10 years ago, Kevin Love. Like,
1: that's a bad sign. Yeah, they played, if my math is right, didn't they play 18 games going into the finals, and the Nuggets played a total of 20 in the whole playoffs? Is that right, I think? Mm. So, like, yeah. Just the extra minutes, and we know playoff minutes are so much more intense, just like m- you know, um, mentally for one thing, but also, you know, you just play more minutes too, right? You know, five more games in the regular season, it's like okay, whatever, I'm only playing 30 minutes a game, but you're playing like 40 minutes a game because you cut the rotation so much? Yeah, I mean, it's not a surprise that, you know, the extra wear, that's, it was such a, a mistake, obviously, that they went to seven against the Celtics and didn't you know, sweep them or wipe them out in five. And I think it would not have made a difference. They would have still lost the finals, but it definitely hurt them, I thought, coming into the finals.
2: Yeah, I mean, good effort by them, honestly. It was impressive that they, you know, even took a game on Denver, in my opinion. Like, I honestly thought there was a chance that Denver could just sweep in the finals.
0: Yeah, absolutely. yeah, they played really well for that, that game in game two. Again, that was the game that they shot, like, 48% from three. Mm-hmm. and. <laughs> That was pretty much their recipe of the whole playoffs. You know, when they shot well, they won. And when they didn't, they did not.
1: Yeah, Yeah. it became pretty clear in in the finals that they were in make or miss league territory. It was like, boy, they're going to have to just bomb out the Nuggets somehow to win because they actually weren't winning the usual stuff you'd imagine from the Heat. Like they weren't winning the hustle plays and all this stuff. And they looked tired and was like, boy, you just got to just shoot 50% on high volume three and hope to win.
2: Yeah, no, that that's really is the only recipe if you're if you're losing offensive rebounds and turnovers and all these other things that the Heat normally went on, like, you really don't have a chance. But And the thing is, even for little stretches, they looked like they were going to start swinging it back their way in terms of turnovers and offensive rebounds and whatnot, but this is, like, I, I got to give props on the other side. I know we haven't necessarily switched to Denver yet in this discussion, but to me, I don't think it's a coincidence that Denver figured them out over the course of that series.
1: No, just uh, the roster wasn't deep enough. They um, just didn't have enough A-level guys. You know, it's like, uh, wh- who was it? I think was it Van Gundy in the f- finals was like, they are relying too much on their role players to step up big for them. And that was the big, that was their problem. Yeah. And they, I think yeah. he was complaining that like Jimmy and Bam needed to score even more than they were because... And neither of those guys were going to do that, right? Like,
2: I, 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 I understand his assessment, but the thing about Bam is Bam is not one of those guys that consistently gets you 25 in a game. Like, that's just not how he's wired. Right? He'll, he'll break out and have some games where he does that, but the idea, like, you're going to expect him five games in a row in the finals to do that, that's, right. I don't think that's... Like, especially when you're tasked with covering Jokic on the other side, like, I do not think that is realistic.
1: Yeah, but I also think that was the only option. You can't be like, "Hey, yeah. Gabe Vincent scores twenty points a game in the NBA Finals." Well, so this is the funny
2: thing. That's how they got there, though.
1: Yeah, the finals are different, though. Even like when we watched the Last Dance and Charles Barkley and Jordan were like, it would, they didn't even expect that the finals would be like that. That's why Jimmy and Bam are max level players, and that's why you know Bam was in a, in a gold medal game. So, like,
2: I mean, if Jim, if Jimmy hadn't had been injured I do think we would have seen, seen a different version of him in the finals cuz he's he's got the he definitely has the heart of a champion but he did not have the the body like he his body was broken down at that mm-hmm. point but mm-hmm. th- it really is getting to that point where I cannot remember a year where Jimmy Butler in the playoffs does not reach a, a cliff where his performance just goes from amazing to not
0: right in so, their last finals run he was out for multiple games against the Lakers in the finals too there so it's a bummer yeah. but like, like we said, I just don't know that it really mattered because Denver was just so good.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You, Jokic rightly, rightfully got crowned as the best player in the league, depending on how you want to measure these things. Like to me, I think, I think it's unequivocal. But yeah, you know. yeah,
1: yeah. Well, let's hold on one second. We'll go switch to Nuggets here because I think we're pretty much on with the heat here. What do you guys think is next for them? Do we think that this team is? As constructed, could still be a contender, or do they have to do something differently? Because, like, a lot of their roster is uh, not under contract, (laughs) and then also, like, old. Some of the guys are old, too. So, what is next for the Heat?
2: I do not think that they are a contender as currently constructed. I will just flat out say that. Um And even if you say, like, Hero comes back healthy, Butler comes back healthy, Bam is healthy and doing Bam stuff, like, I just, to your guys' point that you just made about the role players too much being put on their shoulders, like, they need another guy, and I mm-hmm. think they should go for Dame. I just don't know how possible that is.
0: Yeah, and I think Pat Riley agrees. I mean, they were linked to DeRozan, to they were linked to Beal, now they're linked to Dame. Like very clearly, their front office knows that they need another just guy that can get buckets for them. Yeah, in crunch and time, and I, know, I take the it, pressure it, it, off it, Butler. And
2: yeah, I, don't I, I know think they're going
0: to be able to pull off the trade, but they're sure trying to.
2: Yeah, it's it's better for them they didn't get Beal, honestly, because I I do think when it for it, in the context of this team, I think there is a serious difference between Dame and Beal, for example, and obviously contract wise and other stuff too. But I just. Like, what they need is a dude that can pull from 40 feet and make other teams scared when he's doing it. And I don't think Bradley Beal is
1: that. No, they need another offensive initiator, and uh, that's what you would get in Dame versus Beal. I also agree that I think they need, if they want to win a title, I mean, like, this roster is constructed, could make another... Assuming they can bring back all their guys. I mean, who knows? Someone might try to overpay one of their free agents, but... I think they could make another Eastern Conference Finals run. I mean, a lot so much of the Eastern Conference is up in flux and a mess. So we don't know what's really going on with a lot of those teams. And if they have this, you know, the continuity, I don't see why not. But to be a champion, I agree that they need another Capital G guy. You know, to uh, they just need another offensive guy because I I agree. You know, I, I, we discussed the Bam thing. I agree that Bam is not. An offensive scoring hub. He's more like a run the offense through him to get other guys going hub. Yeah, and so they just need another guy who can be like, if Jimmy doesn't have it, someone else has got to score. Who can and, and correct I, the, I, the other team that they. Care I think about, Dan is, you
2: know? a, is a great player. To be clear, like I did not mean that as slander on him. I actually really like him as a player. I just think expecting him to be one of your guys that puts up twenty five every night so that you can get your 95 points to win the game, yeah. you know, 90 to 95 to 90 or whatever they're shooting for. Like, I just don't think that's a realistic way to run that team.
1: That's not, that's not his game. I agree. It's like, he, like I said, he's not a, um, get him the ball. He puts up points, just dominating the post. Like I said, he, you run stuff through him to get other guys going, but not, he's yeah. not your finisher. Is that, is that kind of, I think we're kind of agreeing.
2: Yeah. They need a finisher. They need a guy. Like, I'm thinking of some of the playoff, late playoff stuff that Dame has done when he's gotten there, where it's, you know, tie game, 20 seconds left. He's got the ball. The other team is terrified, right? Mm-hmm. And rightfully so, because he's, he's had some bombs where he just like ends people's seasons with one ridiculous shot. And that's a guy that would completely change the offensive profile of the Heat, you know, and change the offensive profile of any team, to be fair. But, like, especially, like, the thing is, the, de- the defensive liability that he brings I don't think really matters on a team like the Heat because you look at all the crazy junk defense they run, they run so much zone, you don't care if you have like they're going to try and isolate against Dane because whatever, like your whole defense is designed
1: to where you, you can't really do that. They played Duncan Robinson in the finals. I mean yeah. like... Yeah. Uh, Dane yeah. is no
2: worse a defender than Duncan Robinson. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, they could get away with it uh, having won, but I, you know, one of the problems for the this year, the reason why in the regular season you didn't see him play Duncan and Hero together, so you can't really play them both together. And I think Hero would probably have to go out in a deal. I, I don't know for sure, but it would be tough, I think, to keep him. But
2: be to, right, because he wouldn't be happy with playing time and touches and whatever else. If you got a guy that's a that's an apex, yeah. Or, and then you also keep hero on your team. Like, what are you doing there? Right?
1: I, I don't think you could play them together on the floor at the same time because you would be so bad defensively, that would be the problem then, too. So, yeah, it's like, yeah no, now you, we're paying you, a, so you, much you, money to you, be a backup with
2: major liabilities on the floor at the same time. That does not yeah. work. No,
0: so how Duncan Robinson for looking to be almost worth his contract for most of the postseason run, though? He'd been such a non factor for like a year and a half that it was kind of fun to see him. No, he, he he wasn't a terror, terrible defender. He he, he tried out there and he got some backdoor cuts, hit his threes. It was nice to see him playing well.
2: Yeah, totally. And and honestly, that's where they have hope. At, I think in doing some kind of a trade, if not for Dame, then for someone else, because they have guys that stepped up in the playoffs that they should be able to, you know, cash in on that value. But I really, I do think they should go for it. And I think Miami is the kind of team that that will at least consider it. I don't think they're afraid of you know. Um, risk-taking in that regard, but I just, to get to the to the heart of the question you asked, Brad, I, I don't think they have enough. Even if they could grab their way heat-style to the finals again, I, wh- whoever, whatever West team makes it out of the other side, which is probably going to be Denver, frankly, is just not going to be afraid of them, as they're currently constructed.
1: Yeah, that's kind of, that's how I feel. Do you, What do you think, Sheldon? Yeah, I'm with you. They, like, it it took
0: a shooting miracle for them to get through <laughs> Milwaukee and Boston in the East. And you know, a and have to do that again just to get to play, you know, the, the Denver or Phoenix or mm-hmm. whoever it is in the West. Uh, that's just too much to ask for again from the roster as it currently is.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, so let's, let's crown them here though. Let's talk about the nuggets. Um, I I mean the the point to, the place to start is of course Jokic he led the postseason at points rebounds and assists which is freaking insane um I mean, unfortunately he he was averaging a triple double for the postseason but um, his assist numbers started to go down because the Heat in a few games were like Jokic is not passing to anybody <laughs> yep. and they really tailored their defense to stop the passes but it wasn't enough uh really just another incredible. Uh, performance from in this finals, as Dan has said, just eviscerated the heat all all the time. They had no answer for him. Uh, anytime they went to him, it was just like he crushed it, he dominated. Uh, crushed it like he crushed that Michelob Ultra in the post uh, game locker room. Uh, I, I I agree, Dan. I think Shell and I both said it before. The finals, best player in the league. Mm-hmm. Um... Just like, yeah, I mean, I, I, the, you really can't throw enough plaudits on him for what he did in this postseason. He uh, was incredible.
0: And every time throughout the entire postseason that Denver needed points there in the fourth quarter, he, he looked like he was dying in all, some of those games. You know, he, mm-hmm. he's, he's a funny superstar in that he always looked like he was just a couple steps away from passing out. But he got the basket. Every single time Denver needed him to. I mean, there were a couple games that Miami kind of tried to make runs at it there at the end, and Jokic just smothered every single one of them just with another mm-hmm. goofy high post move or, you know, touch shot at the rim that hit the rim twice in the backboard once and still went in. Like,
2: yeah, he's got such a soft touch within like seven or eight feet of the basket. It's ridiculous. Yeah,
0: and such a good passer great rebound like i there yeah like brad said there's just not enough good things you can possibly say about him he i'm glad he got the ring so that all the dumb arguments can go yeah uh you know most of the postseason issues he's had previously were not his fault they were the fact that murray and porter jr were injured (laughs) you know what i mean like so it's just good to see there there's he's got an impeachable resume at this point as a as a basketball player or unimpeachable sorry
2: Yeah, I I, I agree. I agree. I I was frustrated as someone that's always liked his game that uh, when people go, oh, well, look at what he's done in the postseason. It's like, well, it's a team sport. And when two of the three best players on your team are injured in various postseasons or are not or not playing up to their usual standards, it's you just can't like he's not that good. Right. Like you need players. And this is exactly what we just said about Miami like they played their hearts out but you need players when it comes to the finals or you know even just deep in the playoffs to to be able to get over the hump and that's really it's clear now in retrospect that's what he was lacking is healthy players that were playing up to their ability and once he got that this team looks amazing and it's funny because a lot of people were like oh their defense isn't gonna be good enough honestly I think I thought at a lot of stretches their defense was excellent like And they're obviously they're, you know, they're not the greatest defensive team in the league. They're probably like top 10 or 12 or something like that. But it's, you know, when your offense is that good, like transcendently good, top 10 defense is fine. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think they were like 12th through 15th that in the regular season. But I mean, the difference was, as you said, in the postseason, they played harder Uh, you know, the Heat only scored over 100 points once in the, in the finals. Like, uh, I know the Heat missed a lot of open shots too, and they kind of stunk, but like Denver played harder on defense in the postseason and especially in the finals. And it's like, defense is a lot about effort and, you know, making the extra hustle play, wanting to fight around the screen, all this blah, blah, blah uh stuff that everybody always says which is true, but uh yeah, they they played defense well enough to be buoyed by that amazing offense. Like it wasn't, you know, we're not gonna be looking at their defense and being like, wow, it was the O four Pistons, but it was like they played it to the level they needed to to stop Miami enough that their offense could just blitz them out. That's how it kinda feels what their defense did in the in the finals specifically.
2: Yeah, there's one guy I got a shout out to on Denver while we're talking about this, and and I mentioned it in one of our earlier episodes where I talked about like guys that go from being a number one that is a just a terrible fit as a number one, and then they be, get to become the third best player on a team, and how that can be an amazing trade. And Aaron Gordon is such a great mm-hmm. example. I, I named him actually in that previous episode, but like he to me was the unsung hero for them because he did a little bit of everything. He would he would guard he would guard everyone from Bam to Jimmy to Kyle Lowry depending on switches or what the situation and he did a honestly a great job on defense against basically everyone um as as good as you could as you could ask for someone to be that versatile and he just is a perfect glue guy and he was a number 1 in Orlando and didn't like everyone's like oh he's you know Good stats, bad team, empty, empty kind of player. You know he can dunk, whatever. And then you see him on Denver, and you see how good he looks as a third option. Which, sorry, MPJ, I'm going to call him the third best player on the team because MPJ very much comes and goes game to game. But Aaron Gordon was good basically for the whole finals, mm-hmm. and it's just a perfect example of like roster construction where you you want to you want a guy with defensive versatility that isn't going to pout if he doesn't touch the ball enough, like. He just slots in, does whatever you need him to do. Always plays hard. Always getting, you know, getting steals, getting blocks, whatever, whatever you need, and perfect fit, right? And these are the kind of things that teams need to look for when they're doing roster construction. Is like, who are the guys that you can get that are like that one extra piece? And Aaron Gordon definitely, to me, was uh, that that one extra piece guy for Denver.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If if we're gonna shout out extra piece guys for Denver, then. Mine would be, uh, we talked about him again last time we were all together, was Bruce Brown.
1: Okay, I before think. we talk Brown, okay. uh, can I just do something real quick on Gordon here? Sure. Because I do also want to talk Brown, but I don't want to miss Gordon here. I want to say I thought that the thing with Gordon that was really smart and interesting was in that Lakers series, they had to make an adjustment on offense with where he was because they just had him stand in the corner and then the Lakers never guarded him and they just let him. He didn't know, to, they didn't know what to do with Gordon. And they were like, uh, the Nuggets didn't know because he was useless, and he was like, in the first couple of those games, they really couldn't play him, and then they were like, oh, get him more involved into the action with as a ball handler, as a screener, and they kept doing it in the finals, and I thought that was a brilliant adjustment by uh, Michael Malone, and you gotta give credit to Gordon for being, as they always say, staying ready, and, uh, mm-hmm. Being willing it, to do all that stuff. So
0: was it game one that he had like fourteen points in the first quarter or something like that? Just came. <laughs> yeah, right out of
1: it him. was because I was like, "Oh damn, look at his look at his Finals MVP odds." Because I was joking. So
0: yeah, but yeah, no, he played great all postseason. Great defender for them. For the type of guy that can switch onto a lot of different positions for for a team that doesn't have a lot of great on ball defending, he he did a good job in that role too.
1: Yeah. Uh, what you hit up us with, with some Bruce Brown, though? the the namesake for the opening jokes here.
0: You're right with so with, with
1: Christian Brown.
0: Brown, <laughs> a, a big thing for Denver, and had kind of always there were two concerns for Denver uh, that everybody's had for seasons, and it, one was defense, which we've already talked about, and then two was the minutes that Jokic sits on the bench. Um, and they've tried to figure that out in a lot of different ways. They brought in DeAndre Jordan this year for some reason. Uh, they traded for Thomas Bryant at the deadline because he had been playing, playing pretty well with LeBron, and then was just terrible in Denver in the backup role. And Malone, to his credit, like at some point near the end of the season, he just said, "You know what? Uh, in our non-Jokic minutes, we're just not going to have a center <laughs> for for it. Uh, we're not going to pretend to stick another big in there. We're going to go small." Brown played that role quite a bit as we talked with the Nets, kind of a small ball five for them when they were. Tiny when he was there with the the failed big three, and he he played a lot of wing for Denver this season. But you know they only lost the non Jokic minutes by a couple points against the Lakers, and they won the non Jokic minutes in the finals against the Heat. Yeah, Uh, which is just unthinkable if you were talking about Denver prior to this postseason run. Um, and Brown with a huge role, just him attacking downhill and doing a good enough job at the small. Them going much smaller when Jokic was off the floor was a a great coaching adjustment.
2: Yeah, you, even if you can just win the win or lose those minutes by a couple points, that's a huge, huge win. for Sure, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and um, uh, the thing that I love about uh, Bruce Brown too is, I think we discussed this on the on the the preview too. I mean, last year he was the small ball five for the Nets, and now he's playing like guard for them so just his yep. flexibility allowed them to do so much and as Dan said to like Michael Porter Jr I'll give him credit he he did pick it up in the last couple of games he um, wasn't as terrible but his shot completely abandoned him I don't know quite what was going on even he seemed after the finals he was like yeah I couldn't shoot the ball or whatever I stunk um, I know I forget who it was was it Zach Lowe or no was it Kevin O'Connor I think had this theory that maybe he was injured because the last two times he had sustained slumps like this, he was injured. So I think, are two of the five times or whatever. So who knows? But he stunk. But Brown and Gordon, you have to give credit for those role players for really um, stepping up when the team needed them. Uh, but a guy who I think we expected to step up this time was Murray, who really proved that the bubble was not a fluke. Yep. Uh, here's his postseason and finals uh, stat lines. For the postseason, he averaged 26.1 points, 7.1 assists, 5.7 rebounds on 47.3 from the floor and 39.6 from uh, three. And then uh, some dips a little bit in his finals uh, numbers in some areas, as you'd expect, uh, you know, games are more tense teams. Uh, players are a little bit tight because um, my god we we can get to it, but game five, everybody looked so tight. it was awful but uh averaged twenty one point four points, but ten assists, which was crazy mm-hmm. and uh six point two boards on forty five percent or forty five point one from the floor thirty eight point seven from three so i was uh I expected it from him uh because we had seen it leading up to this that he was that guy, but They needed him. He showed up. He he definitely was a worthy number two to Jokic. I mean, pretty incredible uh, postseason from him and finals as well.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, the Lakers series will be kind of what we remember from Murray because those were the couple games that, you know, he took over the end of game three and the beginning of game four to basically just ice the sweep in that series. Uh, But yeah, again, kept up the high-level play through the finals as well uh very impressive so i i bet we'll see him in an all-star appearance here soon so that we can't we, say I that
2: you're good i with mean a uh, without an all-star wait, game before i hope that people look at the finals and realize this guy is seriously underrated um and the thing that i will add to the numbers like the the numbers that you just gave Brad are that much more impressive because Miami was straight up scheming for him multiple of those games mm-hmm. yeah like they were absolutely doubling him 40 feet from the basket multiple times. And so to get those numbers against defense like that is no joke.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you was really, Oh, go ahead here.
0: I was going to say, yeah, I had a 30 point triple double in the finals. That's incredible. Like there are not many people that can say that. I mean, Jokic said it wasn't a big deal, but I think Murray would disagree.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, Murray thought the whole thing was a big deal compared to Jokic. I thought it was so funny when they won and he was like, balling his eyes out during the uh, trophy celebration, and Jokic is just, he, he picks up his Finals MVP, sets it down, and just like walks away. He's uh, like,
2: where are, my, where are my horses? I want to be back in Serbia. Yeah. yeah. So its, it's uh, It really is the thing that makes watching Denver so much fun to me is, and both, I mean, Murray gets some credit for this too, but Jokic is definitely the heart of that team in, in this regard is, you could just see them, everything that Miami was throwing at them, and Miami even got, like, a, a turnover, uh, a steal at midcourt for a dunk the other way against mm-hmm. uh, from one of those doubles against Murray. And then you saw the way that they mixed it up, and they changed who brought the ball up, or they changed how they did the dribble handoff. And then all of a sudden, they're getting a wide-open corner three, or they're getting somebody roll into the basket completely uncontested. And it just, like, every single time Miami tried something between Murray and, or Jokic, they, they had... Like they're either getting a good shot for themselves or a teammate. And it's just impressive to see how adaptable that team is on offense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Speaks it's- to continuity. Uh, I think I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but uh, this Nuggets team, having been together for a while, played together for a long time, you know, credit to them for keeping Michael Malone. Uh, I know they had a couple of disappointments, but they stuck with him. You know, obviously, I don't think the last two years were his fault for, you know, when they lost in the postseason. I don't think he could have blamed him because it's like, well, I don't have. Murray, they don't have Michael Porter Jr., what can he really do? So, um, yeah, just a team that I mean, they got the, the mind melt, uh, Jokic and Murray. They really are in tune with each other, and I think um, that showed itself into the finals that I hope everybody noticed. Yeah.
2: I can roll above, you know, above the break between those two guys. Like if I'm another team, I'm just absolutely terrified of that that play, mm-hmm. right? What do you like how do you defend that?
0: Yeah, it's you know I've we I've watched a fair bit of Denver past few seasons. I'm sure you guys have as well. But like this postseason run was probably the most concentrated Denver watching that I've had, and maybe it's just me coming from a Warriors uh, standpoint where I watch a lot of them. And the Warriors offense, especially when Steph is doing Steph things, the, it is just it's chaos. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it is frenetic. It is absurd. So watching this many games of Denver, it is so measured and in control. Like you said, Jokic is just so in control on that end of the floor. You're just running those high post dribble handoffs and screens and stuff like it's it's such a different style of basketball that I'm used to watch. So it was fun to get to see that much of it this postseason Uh, just because it is very different from what I normally watch when I watch the NBA.
1: Yeah, tell me about it. A team can run an offense in the fourth quarter that has strategy. Wow, crazy. (laughs) Although to be honest I didn't get to see them because I'm freaking blacked out like a huge chunk of the country. So this year I only saw them when they were on TNT and ESPN. Previously yeah. I've able to see them more, but uh no, I didn't I didn't get to see them this year, Sheldon, so I wouldn't know.
2: <laughs> Such a weird bizarre contractual bit of nonsense.
1: Yeah, yeah. and then they gave Stan the trophy. Ugh.
2: Oh god. Oh, let's uh, let's
1: move past that so I don't have yeah. blow an arsenal gasket here. <laughs> so
2: they deserved it
1: yeah they did they did they totally deserved it Uh, do we think this team is set up for a run here I mean obviously health is the biggest question so um, you know if Jokic sprains an ankle in the postseason next year misses in, in the first game of this you know first round and they could be out right so you know that aside do we think that this roster looks like I mean to me they look like of course, they I would say they were the finals, uh, the favorite to make it to the finals. next year, I think in the future, because they've got some of these guys under a contract, I think they're looking pretty good. Uh, Bruce Brown, he's the big
0: one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's tough. Good. But Christian yeah. Brown played very well. Uh, he's not going to fit the exact same role, but you got to think he'll have a, uh, a mm-hmm. lot more play time next year if Bruce isn't there, right? And he looks yeah.
2: Good.
0: you get Up one to the task guy. of filling in a lot of those minutes.
2: Yeah, and it's what every contender that is able to stay healthy needs to do is that, like, you have to figure out on that turnover. And it's exactly what the Lakers, after their championship season, did completely wrong, right? Is they're like, oh, we have all these guys and they, you know, certain guys got hot at the right time and role players step up. And then you have your stars kind of as the pillars of the team and then they win the championship and they go, oh, let's, like, trade a bunch of that (laughs) for... Sorry, I can't say it without laughing for Russell Westbrook, and then let's see how it turns out. <laughs> Completely the wrong thing to do. So, I think that Denver understands that all they have to do is like figure out how you know, replace a guy like Bruce Brown, who was great for them, but that's that's a solvable
1: problem, right? Like, yeah, he's the role player, he's not like they have their main guys under contract, right? Like, if yeah. we were to be like, what's their Top four rotation guys, Jokic under contract for a while, Murray under contract for a while. They got Gordon still under contract, MPJ still under contract. So it's like that's why I think they're set up for run because in the new era of the salary caps, like they've got their guys at least, right? You know,
2: yeah, K- KCP's under contract too
1: because he he was good. Yeah. for them. Yeah, yeah, he kind of sunk in the finals, but yeah, he's he's a good player too. So
2: yeah, he's uh, got that like that wing. He can guard wings, which right. is those things. Even if you're not hitting your shot. If you can guard wings in the NBA, I feel like you're always going to have use. If, it, like, mm. if you're also a risk of getting hot again from three, because like Miami was not going to just straight up leave him, for example, even though he was not shooting as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was good in the the 2020 finals, so uh, he stunk this time, but doesn't mean he still can't be useful. And I thought he was good up until the finals. So I mean, like, you know, we talked about it. Some guys. Just that bad series sometimes. I don't know. So I do like their roster, and I think uh, I do think they are. Um, you know, there's no guarantee they'll win another one. There's no guarantee they'll go to another finals, of course. So but they definitely
2: so much about health. Honestly, that's why you can't make those kind of guarantees. But if right. they are healthy, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't pick them to come out of the West next year.
1: Yeah, they look set up for for uh, years to come, and I think even as some of these other teams are loading up around them they're still the benchmark team, you know? It's like, I think, compared to last year with when the Warriors won, I don't feel like they were the benchmark team in the West <laughs> after the season, even though they had won. Denver, I think, clearly still the benchmark. So uh, and probably we'll, just for the we'll West, probably for the league.
2: Trades, but Jordan Poole was not the same player this year as he was in their title run.
1: That's true. But, but I don't know. I, I think
0: I've got to give their run a huge asterisk for... Two eight seeds and a seven seed. I don't think they'll get that <laughs> lucky again, right? So, no, no, I agree. They're uh, they are they are the team to beat until proven otherwise in the West at the very least. So, um, I, I with with how good Jokic is and how much of an engine he is, and how well Murray plays with him, like as long as they have those two, they're a tough out. They went ten and one to close out the postseason after Phoenix mm-hmm. tied it up in Game Four.
1: That's yeah. absurd. To, yeah, sixteen and four total, right? I think.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phoenix off the floor those last two games is the thing too, right? Like it was just not close.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, the only other teams that have gone sixteen and four or better, I think I saw were like the twenty thirteen Spurs and then the the twenty seventeen Warriors. So I mean, Re- recently. Recently, yes. With it since since the Lakers went sixteen and one in like two thousand one or whatever it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, congrats to the Nuggets. Looked great. Vagabond,
2: 1965,
1: Brad. <laughs> uh, look, we're not going to talk about when Kansas City used to have a team, okay? Because I, I can't go see professional basketball anymore because everybody's so freaking jade hawk up. Uh, anyway, uh, so, yeah, congrats to the Nugs. Uh, great run. As we said, we're looking like you're going to make a few more here. Congrats to the Heat great run i know you didn't win the finals but i think uh was the second eight team eight seed to ever bake it uh so memorable season for them forever um but let's do here speaking of memorable what were some of our favorite moments of the season they can be serious or not serious and i will start because i'm not letting anybody take this one from me it is my most memorable and favorite moment of the season was lebron temper tantrum That involved Pat Bev showing the ref (laughs) (laughs) the camera. It it was so funny. Like LeBron was acting like literally like a four year old. It was so funny with his stopping his like, you know, hands on his head on the floor. Oh, my God. It was so ridiculous. And it it was so funny, guys.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's so funny. I went back and rewatched it because like because you mentioned that you were going to do it. And. Eric Lewis, the ref that teed up Beverly there. The look on his face when oh, yeah. he saw Beverly coming over with the camera, <laughs> it's its so funny. Like, just the picture of Beverly showing him the camera is a top 10 moment in NBA history. It, in terms of, like, funny moments, at the very least. Like, it's yeah. so good. Yeah, and ah. he did get fouled. <laughs> Tatum got him. So <laughs> I, mean, I get
1: what? it. Yeah, I mean he did, but LeBron complains out every. Th- LeBron has never fouled somebody and has always fouled at every single play. So it's like sometimes you reap what you sow a little bit, right? Um, mm. Obviously they missed it, but for him to react the way they did because he knew they needed to win that game in regulation, and of course they, you know, went on to lose it. But uh, it was so hilarious to me. Ah, um, oh God, I love it. Uh, so that's gonna that's forever gonna be. I think when people talk about. Um, players getting mad at refs or whatever miscalled people are going to reference that forever. So definitely. Uh, yeah. Why don't you guys give me one of your favorite moments of the season here? You can go. So, Sean.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to follow up your technology related one with my, my, the first one that comes to mind from early season. And that is the early season promotion for the Sacramento Kings to light the, Oh yeah. Um, yeah. It, it had all of the makings of a cheesy, dumb you know, promotional thing that a team does, but the, because the Kings went on like a 7 game winning streak right when they started the Light the Beam promotion, it it, it grew into this big cult basically for <laughs> for Sacramento. I mean, they had pl- they had fans chanting Light the Beam at the stadium, they had fans chanting Light the Beam at opposing stadiums, they had players getting excited to go press the button. Uh it was great to see Sacramento get to have a team worth cheering for. Uh their fan base is you know, had such a rough, rough run of it since those Peja Sojakovic teams that um, it, the, the Light, the Beam, the Beam team, it was they were so fun. They set the league record for offensive rating for a team for the season, De'Aaron Fox, one clutch player of the year. Uh, so that, that's the first thing that kind of memorably come, comes to me is just how silly everybody thought Light, the Beam was when it very first started and how quickly everybody got on board
1: with it being like a cool, organic fun thing that a team did yes i enjoyed it we named it cotr episode after it, so of course we loved it
2: <laughs> no that's a great one you and you got it you you have no heart if you can't be happy for the kings after all those years exactly. that desert yeah uh metaphorical sacramento isn't literally a desert but um no my, my choice is going to be a little bit more trollish but uh i just i, re- I have to say i really enjoyed the karma comes back, because we'll get into this later when we talk about Dallas, but I really enjoyed watching the Nets super team just fizzle into <laughs> ah, Me too. Because yep. <laughs> the number of people that came out after that team was formed, or even different iterations of that team for that matter, uh, and said, oh, this team is going to win X many titles where X is some number larger than than zero. And you just like, everyone just loves to do that, right? And I love what we said five minutes ago about continuity in Denver, and I think that everyone trying to make a super team just suddenly like decides that continuity doesn't matter. And so you bring in a new coach, you bring in all new superstars, you like f- surround them by whatever random odds and ends role players you can get, and you go, Oh look, we're gonna have a you know, we're it's totally a title contender and, and the reality is that's almost never the case when you do it that way. So seeing the Nets completely implode was Quite enjoyable after everyone made this, you know, pronouncements of how many titles they were going to win. Unfortunately, my team got one of the remainders from that super team. I'm <laughs> Not so happy about that, but that's where karma comes back to bite you in the ass.
0: Yeah, but no, the Nets—they were a gift that gave for like two years straight for us. I mean, oh yeah, we don't content need a coach. machine. I'm the coach to, <laughs> to, to sitting out to trade Me. requests to more trade requests. I mean, it, they were they were a beautiful disaster as a person that wasn't a fan of the Nets. So the
2: only thing I'm sad about that team not existing anymore is the memes are just not going to be that level of quality for a while, you know. No.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was only uh people pointing out it was a couple of years ago uh like this week that the Bucks knocked them out of the the postseason in that the what of the greatest what if series in the history of the league. So uh yeah, I also enjoyed seeing them implode. Um so, uh, I'll do a quick one here. I'll do two. Because I'll do one that's quick, but not much to talk about. I enjoyed the Jimmy Dreads roll at the beginning yep. of the year for his is uh uh official player photo, and they kept it was the finals, and you'd watch. They would have him up there on the highlights, so the post game highlights, and there was this ugly Dreads. So, uh, great job, just a gift that gave a whole season of hilarity. Um, good job, Jimmy. Very funny, but uh. I'll do. I hope I'm not stealing this from one of you guys, but I feel like I have to do it because of who this is. Uh, the end. This was a late entry. Cast bizarre quotes. Yes, <laughs> th- so good. Uh, oh my god! Uh, when I'm done, I'm gonna change the league. I oh, just talk about a delusional player. I mean, I've talked about them a lot. Um, you know, I had that hilarious like five minute rant where I just couldn't shut up about how I thought they're a bunch of losers, and that was a <laughs> oh. Their mentality is awful on that team, but I I mean, did I need more evidence? No, but I got it that he's not a winning player. I mean, he just doesn't get it, and uh, he's so clueless, but uh, so weird, right?
0: Yeah, so good. I mean, I I almost made a joke about it, like, just a couple seconds ago, because you kept talking about continuity. That one was my favorite one, like what we did in the bubble was more impressive than the nuggets because, you know, we put our team together in six months. So oh my they, God. They had oh, Like, what are you thinking, man?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, so it, good.
0: Um, um, so I have three Homer related ones. I don't know if you want me to just go rapid fire on them here.
1: Okay. I, one of them is going to be mine. I'm pretty sure one of mine too. So go with it here. Cause I can join with you.
0: Okay, so my, my three Warriors, big one-related ones, were, were the second half of the season for Clay. Uh, as a big fan, you know, his October and November and first half of December were horrible. Like, I mean, he was in the worst prolonged shooting slump of his career. And, you know, he ended up finishing with basically his career average in stats because of how well he played, especially when Steph was out, to kind of keep them afloat and out of the play-in. You know, he had the 54-point game against Atlanta and then a couple 40-point games in the span of a week uh, with them being out and ended up leading the league in three-pointers made. So he he did not perform well at all, especially in the Lakers series in the playoffs, but it was fun to get to see my boy back playing good regular season basketball. You know, you, you get 82 games to watch him, and it was nice to see that. So I loved that. And then in terms of individual Warriors games, the two that stand out to me most from having played or having watched them was the Bucks game there in March toward the end of the season. You know, they had the, the big fourth quarter comeback led by mm-hmm. Steph going nuclear to force overtime and, and winning in overtime. And, you know, they were on the cusp of that play-in literally the entire season because they were the worst road team in the league, basically. Uh, yeah. so, so winning that game at home more or less kept them out of the play-in. Uh, with that miracle comeback kind of there at the end is the pool and Draymond tried to choke it away by losing to Minnesota late, but they, <laughs> they held on. Uh, and then the Steph 51 point uh, or 50 point finals or, or sorry, game seven closeout against Sacramento. Uh, just mm-hmm. fun to see Steph basically completely take over a game, not even running warriors, pick and roll offense, just straight Steph pick and roll all game long. Cause he had no help. <laughs> Nobody stepped up and played well other than Looney, uh, and mm-hmm. he you know, single-handedly beat a very good Sacramento team, basically, in that series. So those are the, the three main things that will stick out to me, for at least on the positive side for the Warriors this season, was, were those things.
1: Okay, yep, those were awesome. I guess I'm going to have to save mine, I'll, uh, my Warriors-related one. So, uh, Dan, why don't you give us one here? Oh
2: man, I was like, oh, I should say something homer about my team. Um, it is, it is fun watching Luca Magic when he's not griping at the refs. So that's definitely one of my highlights is when he's locked in. And I think it depends night to night, maybe who's playing or who knows. But uh, when he's when he's locked in, he's incredible. So just need to get a functioning NBA basketball team around him.
1: That's true. Um, so. Sheldon, my uh, my one here that I was surprised you didn't bring up related to the Warriors. Mm-hmm. And I guess this is related to two teams, but the hilarious uh was it a, I, the podcast with uh, Draymond, the dynasty starts after you to Dylan oh Brooks. Oh my gosh, with yeah, with oh, Dylan Brooks. I thought that you were gonna bring that up because that was so funny. Um, and he yeah, wasn't I I mean, save
0: any any Memphis talk until Episode two that we're recording here today. But yes, the how how uh well Draymond predicted the future there with that and just very good trash talk against poor Dylan Brooks, who tried to trash talk everybody that backfired on him pretty much every <laughs> single opportunity.
1: Yeah, yeah. He poked the bear and despite being uh, a grizzly found he became grizzly man. So uh, oh. <laughs> um not not a great look for Dylan Brooks, but Absolutely. I truly. I find Draymond's podcasting thing to sometimes be a little, little annoying, but that was um an ace use of having the platform, uh just reading off the the quote and then just taking him down step by step was uh a highlight here for me. Um, Dan, did you have any more that you want to go through or um Um
2: I guess I would say for me, the last thing that I have is just seeing the high level shift in the NBA is really interesting to me and I'm really enjoying it. Is I, I, I don't think it's overblown to call it kind of an offensive renaissance. Like mm-hmm. we mentioned, um we mentioned the Kings earlier. And I, I do think Steph is kind of the blueprint for this. You see it in the league where you just have offensive players and offensive systems that are so the, the players themselves are so talented. The the systems are really well conceived and there's just a lot, there's some really good coaches in the league. And you see these guys doing incredible things night in and night out. De'Aaron Fox on the Kings is another example. I love his game. And I just, it's just really fun to see good offensive basketball happening.
1: Yeah, I find it a lot. I know some people don't like it because they're like, oh, what happened to defense? And I mean, defense match the postseason and I, but, uh, it's just it's a lot more fun and entertaining product for me to watch personally. Um I, I often say like so I grew up and when I was playing in middle school you know what teams are really good? The mid 2000s Spurs and the Pistons. And that's not the most fun basketball to watch. It's you know uh you like those
2: a lot of because we got your three second calls. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. And it's like uh, I think I would have much preferred to, and I would have gotten more into basketball when I was younger if these, if this had been the state of the league where you're just watching a lot more offensive firepower, more highlights, uh, just more fun in general. I do think uh, there has been some talk in terms of like the, uh, you know, competition committee type of stuff, maybe trying to bring some of the hand check stuff back a little bit, because um, it is people are starting to be like, boy, I don't know if you uh, go to ESPN every single day, but uh they had that hilarious <laughs> article about like fifty point games and it got updated like every other day it felt like about this guy scored fifty points and it was so crazy, so um It yeah, is getting a little little crazy, but I mean it's, 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 it's probably it's going too far
2: I have two counterpoints to that though. One is uh I do think the playoffs is really the ultimate counterpoint to that is you see they let them get more physical, especially in the finals. Like game five is a perfect example. Like there's a lot of no calls in that game that I thought were appropriate. No calls because basketball is a physical game and I would much rather watch them play than watch free throws the whole time. Um, So that said for the regular season, if you're going to have an 82 game season, I would rather watch guys bomb away and score a lot. Otherwise, like I don't really want to. I I don't pay a crap ton of money and drive a long way to watch free throws, right? Like, it's just not a very exciting experience to watch. I want to watch Steph Curry, you know, from just after half court, just pull up, and you're like, oh yeah, that's going in. Um, I I do think that they should probably swing things a little bit the other way. Maybe bring some hand check or some other things to g- give the defense some options. I. I it's not about just only wanting to see scoring and not wanting to see good defense. And I do think we do see good defense in the league, but uh, they'll, they'll probably find a way to tweak it. It's, part of it, though, too, is just skill, right? Because like, yes. you did not have guys like Dame and Steph that, and I, you know, Trey, who I don't like him as a player, but he definitely can, can, can pull from deep. Like, that's a thing that exists now in the NBA that did not really exist 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, the game has totally changed, so I, I get like I said, I think it's more entertaining, and the point is, it's an entertainment product, and as you've kind of brought it up, it's not fun to go, for me to sit down and watch 89 to 82 regular season games, where like, teams are, you know, going to the line like crazy, and every position is like, so takes so long, and so important, It like, yeah um as far as the regular season goes i'm okay with it and i agree the postseason i still think it's i still think defense is the most important thing in the postseason because uh they let you play more but um yeah i I would like i agree i would like to see a little bit of change but the game is the game is more fun now to watch i think so it's good overall um my other thing here that i thought was funny from the season was uh At the end of the season, all the, like, punching stuff, which kind of (laughs) comes, like, the last day of the season, that was, like, crazy. You had the Gobert punching Kyle Anderson, and then you also had McDaniels punching the wall, and it was just, like, one of those incidents happening, kind of, like, a little crazy. But then both of them happening, and you're just like, what is happening? It was so uh, weird. And it did, uh, you know, it probably didn't matter that much really um, in terms of both teams, because um, it just didn't. But yeah,
2: and Timberwolves are a cursed team.
1: I'm <laughs> into that. Yes. Uh, so didn't really matter, but it was just a bizarre thing that I I think uh, we'll kind of remember. It's like, whoa, what happened here? Type of thing. So anything else from you, Eric? There's a Symmetry oh, and the fact
2: that you brought them up, though, Brad, is that uh, we were talking about roster construction and continuity, and if I, if I was to pick one team that represents the opposite of both of those things, I would pick the Minnesota Timberwolves.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. They need to break it up. Yes, I agree. And also, they have put together the roster so strangely. Um, makes no sense. The team makes no sense to me. And the players. I just don't like them. So, uh, Eric, anything from you here that you want to add for favorite moments? Yeah, I only had one
0: more, um, and that was the Western Conference uh, playoff race. I think the whole season was super compelling. Mm-hmm. Denver, Memphis, and Sacramento kind of positioned themselves early on at, out in front of the pack. But then for the last five playoff spots, there were 10 teams basically within just a couple of games of each other for literally the entire season. Like from November until the last day of the regular season, we had no clue who was getting the four through eight spots in the West. Uh, which was just super fun. Like every single game, you know, we, we talk about the 82 game schedule sometimes being too much and load management and all these sorts of things. But for a lot of those teams in the West, every game kind of mattered. Like it, it ended up not mattering a ton as we saw two play-in teams make deep playoff runs, um, you know. But it, it was fun out West. You know, we had Utah there for a while with and hot right off the front. We had Oklahoma City hang around just long enough to get themselves into the play in when everybody was, when everybody except for I guess you, Brad, uh, was kind of expecting them to, to be tanking a little bit with Chet injured. Uh so it was it was a really <laughs> fun just regular season in the West, just because everybody was right there.
1: Yeah. Playing play uh, was a success because it made all those teams want to uh compete. So yep. you reminded except me. Except for that- Dallas. They decided uh, yeah. they didn't want to compete. Oh, twist,
2: <laughs> twist the knife! We uh, we did not deserve to get the draft pick that we did, but we'll get to that next episode. Um, now you reminded me of the last thing that I had though, which is uh, for, I I think the play the the play is great, but I have to point out that LeBron in previous seasons had oh, said yep. he came up with the
1: plan, should be fired. <laughs> in this season, yep. was not saying. That. He, hasn't he made it in twice to the plan or something, right? Yeah, I mean,
2: yeah it was, it's yep. amazing though. The first time he's like, oh, whoever came up with that idea should be fired. And then he and then his team makes a deep run after coming into the play, and it's so good.
1: It is oh. very funny, yeah. It is. I... Uh, but um I have no more. Shout out's so like you're done, Dan, you're done on favorite moments of the yep. season. Yep. All right. Well, great, great season overall. Uh, had a lot of fun. Some very funny moments, um, as we've covered here uh, from start to finish. So, I guess only one thing is left to say: the pod is over. We can all go home now.